ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present the Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of the Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Mm, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank on Branham. It's Joe George, the assistant to the regional manager behind the glass, and it is a Wednesday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Such a busy show in store today. The return of Michael Brantley it hit a homer, donged in yesterday's game. Uh, the Houston Texans are playing a joint practice. Of course, the Astros won yesterday, yeah. Miami. Why are you giving me that uh, disgusted look? Because it's... It, it's the player to be named. Oh, you like you don't like to sprinkles say and Brantley. icing, sprinkles and icing until he puts on a big league uniform. We sprinkled sprinkles a homer. and icing, sure did, didn't he? Sprinkled a dong over the right field wall yesterday. You were right. I was wrong. He played. And well, that was he, the lock of the century. Well, that doesn't happen often, but <laughs> at least he got results when he did play. So yeah, we'll we'll get into the the Brantley stuff a little bit later. A lot to talk about when it comes to the. Like, optimism of Michael Brantley? Should you be optimistic of Brantley? Also, the whole, like, eh, it's minor league pitching type of stuff. But the Astros played a real baseball game up at the major league level. Look, Blankers, good win. You're down 3 nothing after 3. You're looking at series defeat right down the barrel in your rally. You end up winning a one-run game. That was a, that was a gutsy win. It was a big win for the Astros in South Beach. In some ways, it was a comedy of errors, because it was. No doubt. Uh, it wasn't the best baseball on the planet. But at the same time, you're right. I mean, it kind of had the, the markings of the first game where they're playing from behind the entire time, and and you're, you're just wondering if the offense is actually going to get a couple of balls to fall in and, and try to manufacture some runs. At least they, they scored some runs. They're playing from behind. Even when they tie it up, they find a way to give it away. But then Kyle Tucker comes up big again, and, and, and the pitching comes up big again. And, and you look at this team and go – if not for the Rangers just riding an unbelievable hot streak where the, and, and they're capitalizing on the Angels team that the Astros almost swept, uh, you'd be saying this is one of the hottest teams in baseball. Even And it's still the, the Astros still aren't playing their best baseball, but they're finding a way to win, and, and they're not getting their doors blown off in any games, and they're working some things out. I love the way this team is still kind of progressing towards coming together and peaking at the right time. I just I have concerns about the fact that the Rangers not only aren't going anywhere, they just might not be catchable. Yeah. Uh, the Astros do play a three-game series with them, but right now the, the, it's three and a half with 41 to play. Now, winning the division is not a deal-breaker to win the World Series. So, like, I don't want to also hedge the bet or backpedal because I still think winning the American League West is very, very important mm-hmm. just to avoid a three-game series in baseball where anything can happen. I think it's critical to win the division. I think it's pivotal to win the division. Can you win the World Series without it? Yeah, you can. So it's a pretty good fallback option. Like, it's great to win the division, but your exit plan is you get a wild card, you win a three-game series, and then you're right there where you would be if you did win the division. So I'm not poo-pooing on the importance of winning the American League West, but I like the fallback option. I like the fallback option that you can try to lock up one of these wild cards. But mm-hmm. look, the Rangers are red hot. Maybe maybe they'll start to fade. There's still 41 games to play. There's still right. a good chunk of games. And, and believe me, I, I like you, I know that there's still a head-to-head matchup to be to be had. You just and you know you've played well against the Rangers. It's just that you don't want an insurmountable lead from the Rangers going into that. And, and right now, they're not. Not only are they not going anywhere, they're just they're just finding a way to put f- five runs on the board almost every single night. Yeah. So it's something to be concerned with. Now, to your point on the wild card, the one thing that 
when you start looking at the landscape, if right now that they would be matched up with a team like Tampa. Well, Tampa's got issues with their shortstop. We don't know what's going to happen there. It's a, it's a way to put it. Yep. I'm just trying to do it as generally as I can. Yeah. Uh, McClanahan is having Tommy John surgery Wander on Monday. Wander Franco's had a career. Well, I can't remember the saying. Wander Franco is one for the ages. Ooh. Get it? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So um, he he evidently he uh, likes to wander without checking IDs. Uh, but regardless, you got his issues. You got McClanahan having uh, Tommy John. So you look at a race team that's suffering injuries at the absolute wrong time. You hope, with the exception of Altuve uh, following one off his knee last night, that they're getting healthier and sprinkles and, and icing is, is still a, a possibility to where this team could continually get not only healthier but better as they head down the stretch. So you feel really good about where they're at. I'm with you. You, know, you and I have been on the same page on this. You prefer to win the division. You know that even catching Baltimore could be within reach if you just keep playing this way, it's just that that Ranger team won't go away. Yeah, Rangers have been very good. But uh, that game yesterday for the Houston Astros, a lot to get to. You brought up the uh, the error, the double error in the fifth inning. Goodness, that was bad the whole way around. The Ours Lakers, or theirs? Because the, 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 uh, the their Astros. error was, was kind of... That was a weird one, too. They gave Tucker originally a triple, and then they gave the error to De La Cruz, who I was camped. Have... He was camped underneath it. Uh, you know what? But You, you know, don't think he was camped underneath it? I, I think they both... Could have caught the baseball. Sure. But to me, the rule, and you, when the, the close-up showed that uh, Jazz Chisholm, Paulie, don't try and say that uh, quickly, uh, Jazz Chisholm actually called the ball. He had, yeah. little, he had a little issue. Yeah. A little issue I, with, I, uh, I, I, I picked up what you were putting yeah. down. Yeah, I picked uh, it up. I heard him on the way in. But J- Jazz was sitting there going, I got it, I got it, I got it. And that's yeah. by rule, that's the center fielder's baseball. I agree with you. And then they collided. I agree with you. Now, now, De La Cruz was also calling for mm-hmm. it, but again, the center fielder takes right. precedence. Now, He's the I, sheriff out there. I think De La Cruz was camped under it, like where Chisholm was going to have to catch it in stride, but I agree with you. I actually thought that was De La Cruz that needed to bell and not jazz to bell. But then the Astros double error, where Mauricio Dubon was super lazy on that play, super lazy on that play, and then lobs it over there. John Singleton was also lazy on that play. Singleton was already committed to the throw, was flat-footed whenever he had to adjust to the ball being towards the plate. First baseman, you're taught to have that glove foot near the bag or on the bag, and then you step towards the ball when the ball's in flight. Or straddle it. Or straddle it with both feet, and then you can move accordingly. And you're right. His heels were driven into the ground. Mm -hmm. There was nowhere to go. But that isn't even the worst of it to me. No, it's not. (laughs) You're talking about Javier. Yeah, because one, he (laughs) half-assed the throw. He didn't put anything on it anyway if you're going to try and get him at third. And even Bregman, the minute it left his hand, he was like, well, I can't get to that. That's going out in left field. And I, and with two outs, you're going, okay, you live to fight another day. The run hasn't scored. Go take on another hitter. Get the out. Get out of here. But instead, he throws it away. And with that, he threw away the lead. And I'm going, what are we doing? Yeah, that's one where you eat. <laughs> that was a bad play by Dubon. It was bad footwork by Singleton. And it was a terrible decision slash throw uh, by Christian Javier. You would you would feel some kind of way about that play if it came in a in a loss. But the fact that the Astros came from behind to win the game, we can all laugh about it now. Well, and if Blummer was working in Baltimore, he'd be suspended because Blummer was like, you know, all season long, this team just hasn't done very well defensively. And pointed out yeah. how many times that we talked had to talk about things like this where they just don't make the smartest, best decisions and plays defensively. Yeah, that was an ugly one. It's an ugly one. Comedy of errors, though, better in uh, victory than it is in defeat. You can laugh about it whenever you win. You'd be crying about it if you lost. You mentioned a hero in Kyle Tucker. Like 
this this guy is playing at a, a high level. If it weren't for Shohei Otani in the American League, I think Kyle Tucker would have a legitimate chance to be the American League MVP. I think he has a chance to finish second in American League MVP voting. He's playing on a different level. That bomb yesterday to put the Astros ahead, 422-foot no-doubter. And then he the, the way he pimped it, too. It's like, okay, uh, my, my job is done here. I'm just going to toss aside this bat because I no longer need it. But you know what the other thing is with him, Jeremy, when you watch him play? It never looks like, you know, a lot of these guys have these big violent swings and, and these big, you know, these big follow-throughs. He looks like he's just so smooth in everything that he does and laid back that, you know, he gets his arms extended and he drives that ball into the upper deck. But when you look at the swing, you're like, ho-hum, he just he just caught one. He's smooth. Yeah, he really is. It's a, it's a smooth swing and the, he, bar- he finds barrels. And when he finds barrels with that smooth swing, it goes a very long way. And he did it against a lefty. Like, the, the Astros lefties are immune to lefties. That's what's awesome about them because a lot of times you have these left-handed sluggers and then you see their le- like numbers against lefties and their 220 hitters don't hit for much power. They just abuse righties. Not Kyle Tucker. Tucker's better against lefties. Jordan's at, at numbers against lefties are very similar to his numbers against righties. The, the fact that the Astros have Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez who are kind of matchup proof, like if they're facing a lefty, they're going to crush them. If they're facing a righty, they have the ability to crush them. It's very nice that the Astros' two best middle-of-the-order hitters and Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez are, are matchup proof. It doesn't matter who comes out of the bullpen. They're going to have a chance to hit that guy. They don't have egregious splits, lefty-righty, and, and Kyle Tucker's playing on a, on a different level. Did you hear him in the postgame, too? I did. I mean, the fact that he even said, I don't care if I fi- face a righty or a lefty. You know, he feels like he's, he's got confidence against both. And it shows. I mean, when you look at the numbers that both of those guys put up against left-handed pitchers, it's amazing that they just rake and they just get it done. And that's why you still always are going to be so excited and believe so much in this team because you have so much talent in the middle of the lineup. Yeah, uh, this is – I mean, yesterday the offense exploded too, and then it brings up the whole – Yiner Diaz conversation. Oh, did he do anything yesterday? <laughs> the question every day shouldn't be, is Yiner playing? It should be, which spot in the middle of the order is he occupying? Yiner Diaz, I, I looked this up today because Yiner's been really good. There's only one other Astro that hits more home runs on a you know per plate appearance rate than Yiner Diaz, and it's Jordan, Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez's home run percentage, not to get too nerdy on you, is just over 6.5%. The next highest is Yiner Diaz at 5.9%. Yiner Diaz has the second most power on this team. If Yiner Diaz were, were to be given 600 plate appearances, he's probably going to hit 30, 35 home runs. The next highest home run percentage after Yiner, guess who it is? Kyle Tucker. Nope. Nope. Really? It's not Kyle Tucker. Chaz McCormick. It's Chaz McCormick. Chaz McCormick still gets... Chaz McCormick is turning into an everyday player, but still not everyday like Kyle Tucker. Jordan Alvarez has the highest home run percentage, 6.6%. Yiner has the second highest home run percentage, 5.9. Chaz is at 5.2. Like, when Yiner... And, and we've we've had the back and forth about lefty-righty stuff. I don't mind as much when Yiner sits against lefties because his numbers aren't, aren't as good. But there should never be a day where Yiner Diaz is sitting against righties. You would go further and say, period, no matter if it's a lefty or righty. The same thing can be said about Chaz McCormick. There shouldn't be a day that goes by where Chaz McCormick is sitting the bench for Jake Myers 
Myers or Mauricio Dubon Day in center field. Both of those, especially with an Astros offense that hasn't lived up to expectations, right? And a lot of it's injury. Jordan Altuve got injured again, left the game yesterday. They, they think he's going to be okay. They say he's fine day-to-day, knee contusion, blah, 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 blah. For an offense that is not hitting its ceiling, for an offense that's like it's 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 missing a click, right? Like they're a beat away from being really, really good. But they're not top 10 offense in baseball. If you have a team that's not top 10 offense in baseball, why are you sitting top five offensive players on your team, Yiner and Jazz McCormick, on a routine basis? Dusty Baker, that's it. That's the only reason that's the answer. It's not the legitimate answer that makes sense. It's not something that anybody should justify and say, well, that may that that's acceptable because it's not, but it's Dusty Baker. Dusty's going to Dusty, and Pawpaw's belly is going to give him the gut feelings that he's going to do what he's going to do, and he has free reign to do whatever he wants. And no matter whether you love him and you defend him to the hilt, to some of the listeners that we have, to other people that go the other way, the fact is you know that he's done a great job as the manager of your baseball team, but this is one of those things that drives me nuts about the way he manages this team in the fact that whether he holds grudges or he just has feelings, the fact is... Sometimes you can't explain what Dusty does, and this is a, a, a situation with both these guys. We've been saying it since a little bit over the quarter point of the season. Chaz should be in there every day. Now we're saying the same thing about Yiner, and everybody seems to be jumping on the bandwagon like embrace the suck. It took some people a little bit longer than others, but the fact is most people are with us, and the only people that aren't is Dusty Baker and the, those staunch Dusty defenders that think that whatever he does is the right thing to do. Yiner and Chaz are too good of hitters to be part-time players. Like, if you want to give Yiner a, a, an occasional off day against a lefty, okay, give him an occasional off day against a lefty. But he is too good a hitter and has been too productive to be sitting the bench on a routine basis. Same thing with Chaz McCormick. Uh, those are two of your better hitters on this team. When Yiner and Chaz are both in the lineup, your lineup gets a little bit deeper. It extends a little bit deeper. 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Busy show in store for you today. Uh, first day of joint practice between the Dolphins and the Texans. Did they fight? Who performed well? Uh, we got to get to the Michael Brantley stuff as well. We're on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham on Twitter. How about Christian Javier? His outing yesterday. I've gone blankers from Christian Javier from confident he'll get it back to now I'm just kind of hoping he gets it back. And then what do we make of Hunter Brown? Uh, out of relief. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show as well. So Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville, the best in the business at the Neograph procedure. What is that, you ask? Well, it's getting your hair back by using your own hair, taking it where you're never going to lose it, which actually is genetically the sides in the back of your head. No matter how bald you go in other areas, you're always going to have hair on the sides in the back of your head. He takes some of that, puts it where you need it, and suddenly you have hair again. You've got a better overall appearance. You have more self-confidence. You feel great. You look great. And you can't believe it's all done thanks to Doc Linville. Check it out today. Go to 975hair.com. You can check out Doc Linville and the way the procedure works. You can sign up right there for uh, your first consultation. And because you're doing it at 975hair.com, you get a consultation for free. It normally costs 150 bucks. You meet with Doc Linville and his staff. You ask questions. You get answers. There's no obligation. Nothing out of your pocket. Nothing you're committed to. But when you find out all the details like I did, like that bullet point, I'll give you, 95 to 99% of the follicles that they move are going to stay, grow, and be with you for the long haul. That's the game changer for me. If I do this procedure and half of it falls out, well, it wasn't worth it. But if I do the procedure and almost 99% of the follicles stay and get stronger and longer and are with me until the day I die, I'm in. And I was. I did it. I couldn't be happier. You could be the next in line. Check them out today and tell them I sent you by because I love those people and they did great work for me. They could do the same for you too. Go to 975hair.com. 
Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, deep inside the secret bee cave, it's Joel Blank and Jeremy Brenham. Astros won a baseball game yesterday. Come from behind fashion. They were trailing 3 nothing. Come from behind and win 6-5. to five. Uh, Not Santa on the uh, the Twitter, the Twitter.com. Are, are we still calling it Twitter? Still Twitter, right? Yeah. Did you did you notice by the way? You know what the Astros used to do on their broadcast? Used to do Twitter Tuesday. They did. You know what they're calling it now? No. Social media Tuesday. Just 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 an observation. They don't huh. call it X Tuesday. Just an observation. It's no longer Twitter Tuesday. It's now Social Media Tuesday. Did you also notice? Because back in the day when it was Twitter Tuesday, they would show the tweet. Yeah. And they would show like the person's name and picture. That's gone as well. Just an observation. Hmm. I wonder what happened. So who hates Elon Musk? Yeah, I'm curious. It's very interesting. You know what else I noticed when Vanessa fills in? Vanessa always feels very, um, how, how do I want to phrase this? Vanessa feels like she needs to thank Dusty Baker all the time, and she feels like she needs to put the microphone in her face to thank Dusty Baker. Just another observation. She's always like, thank you, Dusty. Like, and she puts the microphone in front of her mouth to thank Dusty. It's, it's weird to me. It's a weird observation I, under, I understand. But it's bizarre. Okay. We can probably go back. Like, she she makes sure to be audible when she thanks Dusty. It's so weird to me. It's like, you like I thanking him's fine, I, but I, to, I uh, to put the saying. microphone yeah. in your in your mouth so you can audibly be heard, it's like she wants everybody to know that she's very appreciative of the time of Dusty Baker. From a broadcasting <laughs> just perspective, an I, do, I get what you're saying. It's just an observation that I've noticed that I think is... Kind of strange. Like, watch tonight. I mean, she'll be she's filling in for Julia. Watch the Dusty Baker press conference afterwards in the the post game show, and she'll make sure to make sure she puts the microphone where she can be heard and say thank you, Dusty. She did, by the way. Kind of weird. Get some good video because normally Julia is also very good at getting all the pictures and the videos for social media, the the candid shots, the guys in the dugout, and everything. But did you catch the other night Altuve after the loss went? Even though they lost, was like yeah. there was a bunch of Astros gave fans. Gave the jersey too, and he kid. gave the kid the jersey, and the kid just lost his mind, crying in disbelief, and was so taken by it. And I thought that was really awesome. And Vanessa had caught that video, so that good on her. For that, that was that was really cool. Yeah. You're right. I, mean, I think they aired the kid yesterday too. They, oh, did they? I don't know. The did game. they air it? I don't know if they aired it. I saw her on social post something yeah. like where she was with the kid, and then Altuve probably, came up and said hello. It's probably save it for later. Yeah, I, maybe. I hope he got Altuve to sign that thing. Uh maybe. <laughs> I'm just thinking you, about it from a value the, I, perspective. I know exactly what from you're thinking. From a value of. perspective, it's you know you can say it's a game worn, but if he signed it, it's a little more valuable. Really, really cool moment though. Really cool moment. Uh, six nine four one. Funny, we're so high on Singleton and Hater Brayu so much through both of their first six games. Singleton is three for twenty two, two homers. Abreu is nine for twenty five, zero homers. Who do you want playing? Uh, part of the reason that the the highs and lows of Singleton and Abreu. You're not paying Singleton $19.5 million for the next two years after this one. Singleton's on a minimum deal. Um, Singleton's also like a minor league player that you're seeing if he can be hot and bring what he was doing at Sugar Land on a 75% level to the Astros. I will say this about Singleton, though. Singleton, like, at the plate, I feel more confident in Singleton than Abreu, first off. Uh, the, the numbers that you threw out there are very arbitrary. Like, you're throwing out 3 for 22, 9 for 25. You're not mentioning walks at all. Singleton's also crushed the baseball right at people. Like, even yesterday, yeah. Singleton hit a hard line shot to center. He hits a pretty hard ground ball to the left side right at somebody. Singleton's hitting the ball at dudes. He's stinging the ball to defenders. Yeah, no. You know what? The fact that it's not Corey Jolks yet, right? Because we started out saying how Corey Jolks was doing those kind of things, and then all of a sudden you couldn't even use that as a defense because then he just couldn't get a hit. Mm-mm. 
With Singleton, you look at it, and you, you, the eye test tells you he's got a good approach at the plate. We've talked about the fact that he's got a good eye for the strike zone, and he makes good contact. And right now, you don't have anywhere to go because of the fact that Abreu's on the IL. Yiner. So you, you could put Yiner there, yes. We know Dusty won't do that because he's already kind of given you the, the, the comments in the media to tell everybody before he has to make a decision that that's not where he wants to put Yiner, which yeah. is a mistake. Yeah. But I think that you you hit it right on that. There's no other argument. And Paulie was asking, like, are there really people that are out there that would stick up for Maldonado? Sure. And there's also plenty of people that will stick up for Abreu. And the biggest thing is the one that you brought up. He's making $19 million a year. Yeah. And for a $19 million free agent signing first baseman, you have got to be better, period. Uh, Michael Schwab, the czar of Astros Twitter, he, he posted this an hour ago, actually. He took John Singleton's uh, exit velocities from yesterday's game. The second inning, 102 off the bat. Fourth inning, 106.8 off the bat. Sixth inning, 98 off the bat. He's hitting the ball hard, which Abreu not hitting the ball hard. Like, Singleton might not have as many hits through his first X amount of at-bats that Abreu did, but Singleton's got some life in his bat, and he gets on base because he walks. Yeah, the only bat swing I saw him take was the one he struck out on against the sweeper, the lefty with the sweeper, where that's just a tough situation for a lefty bat to be in, and unless you're named Jordan Alvarez or Kyle Tucker, it's really tough for a lefty. you got to guess right, and then you just gotta you just got to pick a you – know, uh, a zone, and you got a swing, and he guessed wrong. But other than the flailing swing there, I don't I don't have any complaints about John Singleton's approach and the way he barrels the baseball. No, me either. I wanted to drop kick Joey Wendell yesterday. Why? Remember, what? did you see the play where he deked Jordan? And, like, Jordan was, like, just coasting into second base, and then Wendell threw up his glove, deked Jordan, and Jordan did, like, this, like, awkward. Slide. He, 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 like, never got to the slide, but you could tell he was thinking about a slide, and then he overran the bag. I wanted to drop kick Joey Wendell in that spot. You're messing with my Jordan Alvarez, who's always hurt. I wanted to drop kick Joey Wendell right in the nose. You messed with the Jordan rules. Exactly. Yeah, you do not. You mess deke with the Jordan, Jordan Alvarez. Jordan rule number thirty-one. You tried to deke Jordan Alvarez, and he comes awkwardly into the bag. Branham and Blankers get a double Damn drop right. kick. You. Damn, the fear is coming, and we are going to drop the hammer on you. Couldn't. I, I wanted. I wanted. I've never wanted to drop kick a baseball player so badly because I wanted I, to drop was, kick Joey Wendell after he deked Jordan. I hate that because I also hate it. It's also like the fine line at second base. Like, if you're a shortstop, or sometimes I even see the umpire try and help out, which I'm not sure that they're supposed to do. But if a guy is stealing second and there's no throw, a lot of times the infielder used to say, hey, up, up, up. But now, because of the fact that there's a chance that they could actually look at third, they don't do it anymore. And and the same thing. Sometimes guys take awkward slides or go into the base really hard, and they can pop up and get hurt. Mm-hmm. And that's the fine line. But yeah, with Jordan, you just don't mess with that. Do you know? Do you know who's really good at deking actually on the Astros? Uh, you know who my du- Dubon. You know who my new. Remember, I used to say Carlos Correa had the best baseball IQ in all yeah. of baseball, which yeah. I think he does. I think Carlos Correa is very high S two E. My new high S two E player for the Astros is Pena. Pena's got a high baseball does IQ. He, do that? He, he does a lot of dekes, especially whenever there's first and third. He does that a lot, and he's a really good base runner. Pena's my new high baseball IQ, high S2E guy for the Astros. The one that I think when you really can take it up a notch is when the throw goes in from the catcher goes into the out or doesn't go into the outfield, 
and they turn and pretend like yeah. he, they know he's going to be safe. Pena turn, does that. Yeah, and that's that's when you know the guy's the guy's sharp. Yeah, I think Pena's – I've noticed Pena's pretty sharp when it comes to that. All right, Christian Javier. We've been buried. We probably yeah, let's trying to, to put it. this back because we want to talk about Javier. Javier yesterday, five runs, four earned, gave up six hits, four and two-thirds, didn't get swing and miss either. When Javier's giving up more hits than innings pitches, you, you ha- innings pitched, you're, you're in a, finding an issue with Javier. When Javier's not striking out a hitter per inning – Christian Javier's stuff is not playing. Javier's stuff did not play when yesterday. Javier's fastball in the upper part of the zone, which is normally effective, is so up into the zone that no one's going to offer at it because it's not even hittable, even if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a problem with yeah, Javier. Yeah, he was missing up too much. Wow, was like, he missing so up? Lair's home run, you could tell he was sitting on that high fastball, too. I would love Javier to develop like a really good change to play off that fastball, but that's probably a next-year thing. Uh, I've, I, I've been cautiously optimistic about Javier. I've been telling you that we've seen some good signs from Christian Javier, which I do believe. We've, we've seen some good signs from Christian Javier, but all of that came to an end yesterday. Javier took a step backwards yesterday, and Blankers, look, we're always transparent. Tell, call it like we see it. I've gone from being confident that Javier is going to get it back this year to now that I'm just hopeful he gets it back this year. I'm no longer confident that he will. And if you want to go a step further, you're looking at a six-man rotation right now. Javier needs to be like one of those four, five, six guys as opposed to being in the same tier as Javier or as Verlander and Framber Valdez. And if you really want to fast forward to the postseason, I can't trust Christian Javier right now in playoff baseball. Right now, J.P. France is my three. No doubt about it. J.P. France is my three. This is why when I was adamant earlier that he was been your best, most consistent pitcher over the last month, if not more, that he didn't deserve to be demoted. Now he deserves to be promoted because what you saw last night was the first indication that at least for the time being that you're not in the playoffs yet, so you don't have to pick your top three. But no matter what you do with the rotation, not only should J.P. France make sure that he's in it and he never should be out of it, J.P. France should be more to the front of it and, and, and Javier should be more to the back of it. Javier's got work to do. Javier's got things to figure out. Javier's not the same guy as he was a year ago. It was huge that they got Verlander. For this kind of reason, too, mm-hmm. it's also huge that you have the depth now that you have with the emergence of J.P. France to understand, unlike a lot of teams, you have an immediate fill-in for a guy in the top three in your rotation. This might sound a hot takey. This might sound, I'm saying sound funny. Sion. That might sound hyperbolic. This might sound hyperbolic. This might sound like a prisoner of the moment. Javier's my sixth starter right now. Because certainly Fromber, Verlander, or your 1-2 in whatever way that you do it, 1-A, 1-B, I'm with you that Jonathan Patrick France is my number three. I probably have Hunter Brown right now as my number four. The way Jose Arquiti pitched his last start is better than anything you've seen from Christian Javier lately. Right now, Christian Javier is my sixth starter in this six-man rotation. Yeah, I don't know that I could go all the way to six, but I see it. I can understand that. Yeah, and I think it's negotiable. But the the bigger thing to me, too, aside from everything else with Javier, is just it's not been efficient in 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 the last month. He's just constantly, even if he's not walking, guys, he just throws way too many pitches. And even if he did have his good stuff, the amount of pitches that he throws, the amount of unhittable pitches that, that hitters don't swing at, you're looking at 90, 90-some pitches through five innings going, you're just gassed out by that point where these other guys, they've got plenty in the tank and they also got plenty of pitches left to throw. There's, Like I said, there's a lot of work to be done on a guy that looked so unhittable a year ago, but thank God you have options. And whether he's five or six, where you put him at the back end of this, the fact is he has no business right now being in your top three. Is who's your number four? Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Who would be your number four? Might not need a fourth if you're in a three game wild card series and your season comes to an end. And did that number four pitcher make a case that he should be in the bullpen? 
come the postseason last night. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Something that should be in your your chamber are a couple of contests from Circa. The Circa Million and the Circa Survivor. You win one of these bad boys, you're winning at least a million dollars. You win the Survivor, you're winning $8 million, potentially. There's $14 million in guaranteed prizes between the two, and Circa's not taking a rake out of this thing. You can't get that anywhere else. Biggest football contest in Vegas, back for their fifth year only at Circa Sports. You have to head to Vegas, enter at Circa, but then you can play from anywhere. Uh, you can pick your winners each week from the production studio, like Joe George likes to do. Or you can do it from your couch, or wherever. Wherever you can do it is where you're going to get it done. But you do have to enter in Vegas at Circa. Play from anywhere after that. The two contests. First one I'll tell you about is the Circa Survivor. It's their biggest prize pool yet. We've played Survivor pools. You've probably won a Survivor pool or two. But did you win a Survivor pool that had $8 million on the line? I doubt it. The Circa Survivor can guarantee you that. Pick a winner, straight up, no spread each week, and win big. If you're the lone survivor, you're a millionaire. A guaranteed $8 million is yours. If you're more against the spread type of guy, we'll enter the Circa Million Football Contest. $6 million in total prizes. Quarterly payouts as well. So if you're hot for just one quarter of the season, you could get paid. Also, this is all no rake. Circa's not making a dime off of that. You can't get it anywhere else. The top prize for the Circa Million Football Contest, you guessed it, $1 million. You'll pick five teams against the spread weekly, and the winner takes home a million bucks. Bigger money than ever before. Play today for your share of $14 million in guaranteed prizes. Contests are open now. You don't want to miss out. Enter in Vegas. Play from anywhere. Head over to CircusSports.com for more information. You're back where you belong. In the Veritex Community Bank Studios with the killer bees who won't sting you unless provoked. Here's Joel and Jeremy. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. So who's your four? Assuming you need a four, because you might not if you're in the wild card series because it's the best of three. But who would be your four? We're, we're in agreement that 1A, 1B, I don't even really care if it's Verlander or Fromber, the order, don't really care a whole lot about. Uh, France, for me, is the three. He's just been too productive yeah. to not be. There's no denying that. So the question now, I, we've both demoted Javier outside of the top four. Who would be your four? To me right now, it's Hunter Brown. Probably but with you. I, I need to see more... And Ocho and I were talking about this on the Twitch during the break. I want to say that the stuff is there, and because he knows how to pitch a little bit more, that Urquidy could be in the discussion because we've seen Hunter Brown be up and down a little bit, no matter how good his stuff can be. I, I, I think that the bigger thing for me is I got to see more of Urquidy to figure out which Urquidy we're going to get because the first start didn't give me any confidence. The last start did. Now, if you continue to get him stretched out and he continues to make progress and starts like that, now he's definitely in a discussion for me to be the number four. But until he gets to that point and I get more confidence and he shows us that he can go deeper into games and he can put more starts like that together, I got to go Hunter Brown. Did Hunter, now Hunter Brown's my answer too, but did Hunter Brown pitch too well out of the bullpen yesterday to where he's too much of a weapon in the bullpen? Went two shutout innings yesterday in relief. Uh, what'd you make of that outing from Hunter Brown out of the pen? Well, I think the biggest thing, my biggest takeaway is he's no Jake Odorizzi. Like, this is a guy that can come out of the bullpen, and this is how he got his start with the Astros initially. This is a guy that you can put into the bullpen, bring into ball games, and it doesn't take him too long. And when he gets into the games, it doesn't seem to be too big of a deal to just come in wherever you put him in, and he's going to get the job done and still get guys out. That's what I took away from that. He was effective. He didn't give him any runs. That's where you can start, and that's obviously what you want to focus on. But the fact that he can do what a lot of pitchers seem to have a problem doing, which is go from a starter to the bullpen, get ready, get called in, and go in and get the job done. That gave me all the confidence in the world that if he isn't my four, 
I can put him in the bullpen. I can call on him, and I know I'm going to get out. I'm comfortable with him in the bullpen. I thought he was shaky in the sixth inning, though. I didn't think he was really that good in the sixth. Where he walked a guy, then he got the double play, but then was behind in the count. I think he had a four-pitch walk. I think he had a 2-0 count, and then, then uh, Yiner went out there, brought Miller with him. Next pitch, weak fly ball to left out of the inning. I thought he was shaky in the Miller's sixth. Miller's mound visits have been really good. I mean, you got to have a guy who can I mean, make a mound visit. If what, you don't have a guy that can make a mound visit, you have zero chance to win a World Series. If you don't have, Facts. A, if you don't have a plan and you don't strategically know the right time for a mound visit and you just waste them, that's on you, but Miller has been outstanding this year, going out, making the mound visit, and almost on the next pitch, getting double play balls, outs, and getting guys out of innings. He's gotta, fantastic. you got to have a mound visit guy. If you don't have a mound visit guy, you have zero chance in Major League Baseball. But but Hunter Brown, I thought, was shaking in the sixth inning, got out of it unscathed. Yeah. But in the seventh inning, he was dominant. Yep. Like, seventh inning, he was nasty. I was like, oh, okay, all right. I see a Hunter Brown out of the bullpen. I was worried whenever TK was saying that he was going to come back out for the eighth. And I'm sitting there, like, pounding the table – I was watching on DVR again yesterday. I'm like, what are we doing? Like, why is Hunter Brown going the eighth? You have a one-run lead. You got a Brayu that's fully rested. You have Presley who's maybe over-rested. Like, this is whenever you deploy a Brayu Presley. So I was about to criticize Dusty big time because it seemed like Hunter Brown was coming back out for the eighth. Fortunately, TK just couldn't see Brian and Brayu going in the bullpen because I-, I thought that Dusty handled the bullpen perfectly yesterday. Like, if you have Hunter Brown available, you, you, you don't want him to, like, come in in the spot that Montero had either. You want to give Hunter Brown a clean inning. Shout out to Montero for striking out the only hitter that he faced yep. in a runner in scoring position spot. But then you give Hunter Brown a fresh inning, and he gets you to the back end of the bullpen. I thought Dusty managed yesterday's game uh, beautifully. I was worried that Hunter Brown was going to pitch the eighth because of what TK was saying. Uh, but Hunter Brown, effective, especially in the seventh, the Bray, you and Presley. I mean, they Presley look- gave up the double, but pretty locked down other than that double. Yeah, look, and, and I thought Presley's stuff was good. Yeah. I I think you know sometimes you just hit the ball at the right in the right spot too. It was kind of a reach out uh, through the barrel on it, got it right where nobody was, and got a double out of it. But he pitched his way right out of it, and and I was pleased with the eighth and the ninth. I thought that was fantastic. I'm with you. I didn't want to see Hunter Brown anymore. It scared me. Uh, I, I thought, hey, look, he did his job. I don't care if you know he didn't get as many pitches as maybe you wanted to get more pitches for him. You got to win this ball game, and this ball game is the most of the utmost importance with nothing else even close. Because of the dogfight you're in and because the Rangers keep winning, handle your business. Then worry about the rest of it. They did. The bullpen did their job. Great win for a team that, honestly, for a lot of it, I was worried that they they were going to have another one slip through their fingers and they weren't going to do enough to get it done. Humor me for a second. Humor me for a second. Let's say you're in a wild card series. You can't catch the Rangers. Let's say that they go with our one, two, three. Fromber, Verlander, whatever order, and then Jonathan Patrick is your number three. You might even, eh, I'm not going to say that. If Hunter Brown is pitching in the bullpen, out of the bullpen because Dusty's going with our top three in the rotation, where does Hunter Brown fit in in the circle of dust? Whew. Because um, our tops are pressing. Yeah, Montero's Abreu. interesting for me because Montero's climbing up the ranks a little bit. We know that Dusty wants him back up in that circle of dust. More, more trust in Montero or Hunter Brown? I, I, I have more trust in Hunter Brown. I think it's unanimous. I don't know. I, I, from Dusty's perspective, again, I could see a scenario huh. where if he keeps using Montero in these more high-leverage situations, and Montero, even for one batter last night, but if he keeps getting results, Dusty's going to try and put him right back out You know, in the same... He, Dusty would love to have him be in the same kind of role he had a year ago. I don't think it's realistic. Yeah. I don't think it's feasible. I don't think it's the right thing to do. I don't think Dusty he, Baker. Yeah, I don't. I mean, he's he's been lowering the leverage of Montero though. Like he's kind of pitching in the low leverage spots. Like even that spot yesterday is like a spot where you had to use it's to get out of the fifth inning. Yeah. Like it's in the middle of the game. So like we agree that Presley's the top of the circle sure. of dust. Abreu. Abreu is the second at the Naris. circle of dust. Then you have Neris. Would you slot Brown ahead of Neris? Nope. 
Okay. Sure Next would. after that's probably Graveman, Hunter Brown Graveman. Graveman. So you go Graveman, so Hunter Brown's probably your fifth high level. Yeah, I would guy. go there. Stanick? The, you, Stanick know, you know why? Because with Maton out, too, uh, Brown Brown moves up to, uh-huh. to the point where I think he's nestled up right behind Graveman. Interesting. He, and I think I think he's above. I, because Stanick, I don't know if it's just not the, the same kind of changeup or splitty, whatever you call it, he's calling it. I, I just feel like he's right there with Stanick. To where I think Dusty might lean experience with Stanick, but stuff wise, I think it's Brown. Now he did avoid Stanick last year in the playoffs, like the plague. How about uh, Maton when he's when he's back? Hunter Brown. Do I? Yeah, Hunter Brown. Because do I get first half Maton or second half? See, Maton? I think Maton's the, like the fireman. Like he tries to get you have an inning, and then you give Hunter Brown the fresh inning. Okay. So like I, I think the range for Hunter Brown, if he is in the bullpen, playoff time, wild card series, JP France is your number three. I think the range for J.P. France is between three and five. Like, I think he's in the conversation with Naris. I would have Naris ahead of him. I think he's in the conversation to Graveman. Probably have Graveman ahead of him, but then it's Hunter Brown. So, yeah. like, that's the range for Brown. It's somewhere you. between third and fifth. Are you guys the comfortable circle of dust. with him being a, uh, like coming in with, like, two outs in an inning uh, with guys on base? Or do you think Hunter Brown should be exclusively fresh starting, inning. fresh inning, Everything's good. I don't. Go. I don't mind him with runners on base. The situation matters. Like I personally, I would like first base open because Hunter Brown could nibble in that spot. Like second and third, one out. Like I kind of want Hunter Brown to nibble for a strikeout in that spot. I don't kind of want it. I want it. So it, the situ like bases loaded, one out. He's a ground ball guy. Uh, I have no problem with Hunter Brown coming in with runners on base. Ground yeah. ball guy, strikeout potential. That's kind of guy you want. It is, I think I'd prefer him think, not to be in the playoffs just because it doesn't happen. If if they do want to use him in that role, I would like to see them start in the regular season. I don't. I don't just test. I completely drive agree. Yeah, I think he's got to get more run doing that. Like think about it though. First and third, one out, critical spot. Javier for some reason starting. He goes four and a third. You have runners at first and third, one out. You want Phil Maton in that spot, or you want Hunter Brown in that spot? Hunter Brown's got the strikeout, and he's got the ground ball. Yeah, the ground ball was what I was thinking about. Who's got a better ground ball percentage? Because I do understand what Joe's saying, and I hate agreeing with him, but it's because of the fact that pitchers, when you're a starter like he is, have a hard time. If you're coming out of the bullpen, it's fine if you're starting an inning fresh or with the bases empty. But if you're coming out of the bullpen with with, uh, traffic on the bases, I think some guys kind of – Tense up a little bit. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the. I think that's why Joe. I think that's why Joe's point's a good one. Like if we're going to potentially see that in the playoffs, give him that look in the regular that's season exactly too. Right? Because Hunter Brown's arsenal and his repertoire plays for those spots because he's got swing and miss and he's got ground ball to, to induce a double play. And here's the problem that I keep harping on for this year is the fact that you don't have a padded lead to win the division. Now you can experiment with it, but don't get too cute with it because you can't afford to be losing games either while he's getting experience doing it and might falter a few times. Yeah, It seems like everybody's in agreement on the uh, the Twitch and the text line of for the one, two, three. JV Fromber, whatever order, France, your three, and then Brown, four, potentially bullpen. It sounds like everybody's Arkady Javier out. 713-780-ESPN. Do you disagree? 713-780-3776. Michael Brantley played baseball yesterday, and he hit a dong. He hit a homer. In a perfect world, how quick Sprinkles is Michael ice. Brantley up with the team? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. The best, most informed sports talk noon to 3. It's the Killer Bees. Joe Blank and Jeremy Brenham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Brantley 0 for 1. And here is the pitch. Shot to right field. It is out of here. Boy, it sounded great off the bat. 
and Michael Brantley goes yard. Michael Brantley in his debut, his second debut. Sprinkle. Second rehab assignment with the Sugarland Spacers. Hit a homer over the wall and right. That was the call of the great Gerald Sanchez on ESPN 92.5. Uh, cool to see that for Michael Brantley. You don't want to play grade the call? It was great. It was 10. I don't need to. What did you grade it at? Eh. You graded it at a eh? That's eh. not on a scale of 1 to 10. Six and a half. That's good. Okay. Six and a half is good. I like him. Gerald's a nice guy. He's great. I texted Gerald today, picking his brain a little bit on okay. uh, Michael Brantley. No, that was uh, that was it wasn't Garrett. It was Gerald. Garrett, they switch innings. Okay, I couldn't remember. They switch I, I don't that recognize was, the voice. I recognize Gerald's. Gerald, the first baseball game I ever called in my entire life, I was, what, 18 years old? Really? I, I did color for Gerald Sanchez. It was like a spring tomball baseball playoff game. I was going to ask Troy you, Patton got ejected from that game. Troy Patton got ejected from that game. Huh. Yeah, he uh, was uh, he was on Tomball. A uh, high school player got ejected? He's arguing balls and strikes. He got run. Yeah, Troy, you can't do that. Troy wow. Patton. Wow. Astro, hesitate to call him great or legend, but yeah, Troy Patton got ejected from the first ever high school baseball game I called, first baseball game I called, okay. working alongside the great Gerald Sanchez, who called the Brantley homer yesterday. I digress. No one wants to hear about me. They want to hear about Michael Brantley. There's a pause and in Uncle there, Mike. and then... What's that? The pause in the call, and then he's probably it was. I mean, it wasn't a no doubter. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a no doubter. He's probably watching track a ball. Probably well, he's probably watching the right fielder, honestly, to see if he's going to pull up, make the catch, or continue going and watch it sell away. Uh, but Brantley homered in that game yesterday. I texted Gerald. He said he he had a uh, he had a line out to left field as well. Said his plate appearances looked good. I asked him about his defense. Like, did he do anything out there defensively? So he had a couple of routine fly balls that you know nothing to really test him. Okay. The question, one thing that I did get encouraged by with the Brantley homer, like I see on Twitter, obviously, all of us, that he homered. My immediate thought was, okay, what was the pitch? Like, was that a cement mixer backed up changeup that he drove out of the park? Because that means nothing to me. If you, you hit a triple A, you know, hanging curveball for a homer over the right field wall, that means nothing to me. It was 93 and a half mile power fastball high and tight. So, like, that's encouraging that Brantley still has that in his bag. Now, I'm not going to lose my mind, but Michael Brantley's back because we see a lot of guys hit home runs in AAA that can never make it to the big league level. But it shows you that he's capable of doing it. And the fact that he's coming off the shoulder injury, the inflammation, that he's capable of doing it is encouraging. Yeah, mine was front shoulder on it and the turn to take it hard down the line Mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of getting the barrel out towards the front of the plate and trying to throw it in the alleys. Yeah, that was the biggest thing that I noticed, I'm other, not gonna, other than Sprinkles and Ice. not going to lose my mind about a AAA home run, but the fact that he's still capable of doing it lets our mind wander. But let's Franco. also break it down on the, on the flip side. You'd rather have that than an 0-3 for 3 with three punch-outs and, and, and look like completely behind fastballs yeah. and, and chase and break. Yeah, pitch. like you get that pitch on a three-ball count and you're like slapping it down the left field line. Okay, I'm worried if he's like, if the shoulder's not going to allow him. Or the timing's off and you're not yeah. catching up to a heater down the middle. Not going to overreact with him hitting a home run. But it shows that he's capable. It shows that he looks somewhat healthy. It wasn't a backup breaking ball. It wasn't a hanging curveball. It was a it was fastball high and tight, 93 miles per hour, and he pulled it, yanked it out the right field. It's encouraging. It's not to say that Michael Brantley is going to be Michael Brantley. It's not to say that Michael Brantley is going to pay huge dividends for the Houston Astros. It's encouraging. It shows that he still has it in the bag. It shows you that the shoulder's all right. Like, don't want to flip out about this. Don't want to lose my mind. But yesterday, Michael Brantley played baseball and hit a home run. That is the reality of the situation. Michael Brantley played in a baseball game and hit a home run in a baseball game. This is my public service reminder at this point in the conversation after all the sunshines and rainbows for the sprinkles and the icing. This has happened 
before where we've been through this. We've done this rodeo. We've danced down this this street, and that, and then suddenly, let's right. just remember, right when you were entering the crosswalk with the green light to head on back to the major leagues, a truck ran you over and said, discomfort, shut him down, ain't happening. That's why I said after we passed the All-Star break and got by the midway point in the season, I am no longer talking about that man and using his name whenever I can yeah. until I see him in a major league uniform. It's great. It's progress. Again, it's the things you want to hear about. Again. But he's not there yet. So, good start to another stint and another rehab. But I'm not holding my breath or getting my getting excited about this one. And you, and you shouldn't. Like, it's fair to... Well, I mean, I mean, I think it's fair to, to allow yourself to be optimistic. But you're calling it like it is. You're being very factual and truthful. Because Michael Brantley, is that was day one of his second rehab assignment in the minors this year. He already went through a rehab assignment earlier this year. He got called up to triple to, to the Astros to meet him in Seattle, and his shoulder was inflamed. So, like, that's the reality of the situation. Reality of the situation yesterday, he played in a rehab game for, you know, the first time, for the game one and rehab assignment two. So I think it's fair to allow yourself to, like, be optimistic, but you also need to have in the back of your mind, this is his second rehab assignment. He completed his first one and then didn't make it to the club. It's optimistic versus realistic. I, I love the fact that we can all have optimism. I had that the last time we went through this. So this time I'm just trying to be realistic and say, hey, look, I'm focused on the roster that's currently playing Major League Baseball and the guys that you have to call on on a daily basis. And if the sprinkles and icing on the top – come with it later in the season where you can actually add him to the lineup or add him to the bench and he can provide some kind of a spark or offensive upgrade, perfect. But that's why I'm going to be realistic instead of optimistic this time around because we've been through this before. Now, let's allow ourselves to be optimistic. Allow ourselves to be optimistic for a second. In a perfect world, optimism, how quickly is Brantley up with the Astros? Early next week. Okay, I asked Gerald about that too. He said he said he thinks he makes the Astros this weekend. No, he said this homestand. He said Monday. So it's kind That's of what, what you're saying. saying. Yes, I'm saying Monday. Like, or Tuesday. If you're going to give me perfect world, complete optimism, perfect world, complete optimism. He plays again today with the Spacers. He's fine. He's good. He's two for three with a couple of doubles. There's no inflammation, and he joins the team whenever they come back home on Friday. If you're giving me complete optimism, quite frankly. I'll take Michael Brantley after one or two games hitting a home run over David Hinsley yeah, on this team. He plays tonight. Tomorrow's an off day for the Astros in the lineup on Friday. There we go. Complete optimism. Let's the go. super homer, completely optimistic, perfect of, world. Again, and that's why I'm realistic, But because I thought immediately coming home, it just it, there's a chance that he could, he could suit up this weekend. Yeah. And then I could use his name again on Monday. <laughs> uh, one interesting thing about this, too, is that um, what what would uh, there's two things I want to go here. A lot of people are saying move him to first base. I heard Dana Brown on the flagship earlier today. He thinks he's primarily going to be left field DH. I would like to see him at first base because it gives you some options there. Sure like it gives you some options on what you want to do, Here's like depending thing. on your pitcher, depending on who you're facing, depending on the ballpark. So I, I like the f- positional flexibility. So I wish that Brantley could at least do it. I would put Joe, I would put Joe Espada to a little extra work, and every night, every day in in, in pregame BP, I, I'd have Joe still working on first base with both guys. I'd have Brantley and Yiner getting reps, just because, just because injuries happen, just because you want op- every option on the table you could possibly use, whether it be for the playoffs or the regular season, and and the best lineups out there. I would, I would have Joe Espada the same way he works extra time with all the infielders and they rave about him. I'd have Joe working with both those guys. Cool. I'm in. I, I think, I'm in I think on he that. should. Because he, he will, this, the last go round that we got excited about, 
he was having some. He was doing some time at first base with the with Sugarland. So I, I think he needs to continue that. Yeah, especially if Abreu's not going to come back. Even if he is going to come back, he's a better you really option. Think against that's righties. realistic. It's a back. Backs feel like just such a wild card to me. But hey, even I, Carlos Correa is on line one. Look, I think that I think it is in play. I think it is in play that he could miss the rest of the season. It doesn't seem like that's the case. Like hoping he doesn't have a tri- uh, stint on the IL. Just had an injection. They're calling it mild. I think he'll be back. I do think it's plausible he doesn't. But even if he is back. Brayu starts against lefties. Brantley starts against righties at first base. There's your platoon. Or, you know, Yanner Diaz over there. I love his, his lineup's got a lot of pop. I'll, in I'll it. always throw that in there. Uh, 6630. Let's assume Brantley comes back to the big league squad healthy and good to go. What role does he play on the team at this point? Where can you slot him in? Well, we just started talking about it. I mean, I, I think that it depends on what versatility he brings to the table. You can only slot him in in two positions unless he learns another one. So it's DH and it's left field. If he starts getting some reps at first base and you feel comfortable with that, there's another option for you. Otherwise, he's a pinch hitter off the bench as well, and those basically narrow it down. I think that uh, I think you're mostly going to see him left field DH. I would love to see him at first. I don't think it happens. Look, you don't need Michael Brantley to be fantastic. If first base is an option, you're just hoping that he can be better against righties than Jose Abreu or John Singleton. If he's going to play only left field DH, probably that probably is the case. Then he needs to be a better bat than Jake Myers, right? Like you're probably looking at a say, Jake Myers, Michael Brantley platoon situation where Jake Myers is getting starts against lefties, Michael Brantley's getting starts against righties. Whenever you don't need Myers' defense, I think that's the role he that climbs he plays. the pecking order, though, right? I mean, you look at it and say if he's healthy, he he's better than Kessinger. He's better than guys coming off the bench that you can use from a back sure, perspective. Sure, I think you have to have Kessinger up, though, because of you need infielders, Hinsley, especially if right. Dubon's in the lineup. But right now, David Hensley's on the active roster. David Hensley's currently on the active he's roster, just, as with Greg Kessinger. Yeah, he's just filling a role right now. Yeah, it's a body. He's a so, warm body. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to have a roster spot for him. It's just the pecking order of where you, where and how you use Brantley depends on he's you know if he's still a better hitter, and he should be, a better hitter than most of the guys you have on your bench that you could possibly plug and play, then Chas could be your center fielder and Sprinkles and and, uh, and uh, Icing can be in left field sometimes. And if not, then he can DH. But that's when Yiner's behind the plate. Because, again, I'm not taking Yiner out of the lineup right now, and I don't care what Sprinkles and Icing did last night yet. If he can show me that he can be consistent like the hitter he was previously and hover around 300, I don't need the pop. But I still do, that does, still doesn't preclude me from taking Yiner and put him out of the line. I need Yiner still in the lineup. I treated, I tweeted this at, uh, yesterday at Jeremy Brenham. I just want to see one time this year. One time this year. I don't even see it on a regular basis. If I see this lineup one time, I don't, I'm not even talking batting order. Batting order, I think, is overrated. I'm not going to lose my mind about batting order. But if we see a lineup, I'm not going batting order, just lineup. Once. Once this season. I just want to see it once. Yiner's your catcher. I don't even care who plays first base. Altuve's at second. Bregman's at third. Pena's at short. Brantley, Yordan, and left. Chaz in center. Tucker and right. Brantley, Yordan, and DH. I want to see that configuration one time this season. That has to be like Is the, that too much to ask? That has to one be time. like your sudden death lineup. That's your death lineup. That is your sudden death lineup. That is the best possible offensive lineman Just want to see lineup you could put it. I would love it. I only want to see it once. I don't, because if it works, I want to see it every night. 713-780-3776. The Nick Casario hot seat thing, we've been hearing he's on the hot seat, right? Some people think he's on the hot seat. Completely overblown. That Nick Casario seat is as cold as ice. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.